Please be seated. Well, last Sunday, we finished up a two-part series on the book of Ruth. And we learned that Ruth's story of redemption is really our story of redemption. We learned that Ruth, having been redeemed by her marriage to Boaz, bore a son named Obed, who would continue the lineage of Abraham, a lineage that included the house of David, the same lineage that would produce our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It occurs to me that there are many significant women in the Bible whose stories of redemption and steadfast faith in God show us the bigger picture of God's perfect plan for His people. In the book of 1 Samuel, there's another story of such a woman possessing those enduring qualities, a woman known as the woman of sorrows, whose hard life might have driven her down a much different path, a path of bitterness, a path of hardness of heart, except for her faith and her trust in her God. Her name is Hannah, and I want to take a look at her story this morning. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah's story starts like this. There once was a man who lived in Ramathaim. He was descended from the old Zuth family in Ephraim. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zufs from Ephraim through his father, Jeroham, his grandfather, Elihu, and his great-grandfather, Tohu. He had two wives. The first was Hannah, the second, Penina. Penina had children, and Hannah did not. Every year, this man went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to the God of the angel armies. Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as the priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife Penina and all of her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. And this went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, Hannah could expect to be taunted. And Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. 
Her husband Elkanah said, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? Why are you so upset? Am I not worth to you more than ten sons? And so Hannah ate. She pulled herself together and she slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in his customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. And then she made a vow. O God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good, hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, then I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. And Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, you're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. And Hannah said, oh, no, sir, please. I'm a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart. Pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. And Eli answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked for. Hannah said, Think well of me and pray for me. And she went her way, And then she ate heartily, and her face was radiant. Up before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with Hannah, his wife, and God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, explaining I asked God for him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Penina had children, and Hannah had none. For Penina, her success at bearing children placed her in a position of power and strength. From her womb, the continuation of the family line proceeded. Her position in the family was secure. And she might even have been perceived as blessed had she not been such a mean-spirited, unkind woman. She taunted Hannah about her inability to have children. 
She was unkind to her and used her position as the family matriarch to her full advantage, taking every opportunity to make Hannah feel even smaller and more insignificant than she already did. Instead of being kind and benevolent to her weaker counterpart, she used her power for wickedness. Have you ever known anybody like Panina? They seem to have everything a person could ever want in the world. Money, fame, title, power. But they don't seem to be satisfied with having it all. So instead of being content and grateful for what they have been given, they set about elevating themselves above those who don't have as much by pushing and kicking them even further down at every opportunity. It seems the world is just full of paninas. Hannah's barrenness put her in an inferior position within the family structure. Although her husband Elkanah loved her deeply, she couldn't help but be unhappy at her situation. And Panina's unkindness piled on top of her own grief was just more than Hannah could bear. And her situation was made all the more uncomfortable whenever the family would go to the temple in Shiloh. Panina would pour on the taunting during those times and Hannah would be driven into depression and despair. And in her despair, Hannah turned to the one place she could go for hope and for help. She cried out to God about her circumstances and she promised God that if he would just give her a son, she would dedicate him to God as a Nazarite, a man totally set apart to the service of the Lord. So on one of these trips to visit the temple, Hannah endures the typical taunting by her sister wife, Penina, and steals away into the temple to pray. And while she is praying, the priest, Eli, sees her earnestly praying in her grief. She prays a long time silently from her heart, and she mouths the words of her distress to God. Now, Eli confronts her, thinking she must be drunk to carry on like that. And he tells her to sober up. But she explains, oh, no, sir, please, I'm a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of beer, not, not any wine. I've just been pouring out my heart. Don't think for a minute I'm a bad woman. I'm not a bad person. I'm just so desperately unhappy. And I stay here as long as I do because I'm in pain and I've nowhere else to turn. I think there's a lesson in there for us. We shouldn't assume we know people's circumstances. 
We shouldn't prejudge why people do what they do. When we jump to conclusions, we usually get it wrong. Making assumptions about a person based on their circumstances or even the way they cope with those circumstances often leads us to the incorrect conclusion. And by default, leads us to the incorrect remedy or response. We are not defined by our circumstances. Our circumstances do not define who we are. The only thing that defines who we are is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Who we are in Christ is who we really are. And that's the only us that God sees. So after Hannah explains herself to Eli, he finally gets it. And he tells her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel give you what you have asked for. So the priest Eli realizes his error in judgment and gives her a blessing. Which she receives not as a blessing from Eli the priest, but as a blessing from God. A promise from God. Her vow and God's blessing create a covenant relationship between God and Hannah. A covenant relationship involves faith and it involves trust. And those qualities are enough to change Hannah's disposition from despair to hope. See, that's the remarkable thing about the hope that God brings into a set of circumstances. The joy that we experience is a result of the faith and the hope, not of the realization of our desired outcome. See, Hannah is content in the mere existence of the covenant, even though she is still in her barrenness. Because the covenant with God is the thing, not the fulfillment of our every desire. The covenant with God is the thing, not the fulfillment of our every desire. And so God answers Hannah's prayer. She has a son, and she names him Samuel, because Samuel means asked of God. Now you recall that Hannah vowed to give her son up to God if he would but give her a son. And so when Samuel is old enough, she takes him to the temple and gives him over to serve with Eli in the temple. And so when she does that, she and Eli worship together. And during that time of worship, she prays the most beautiful prayer. It's in 2 Samuel, and it goes like this. I'm bursting with good news, with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. And don't dare talk pretentiously 
Not a word of boasting ever. For God knows what's going on. He takes the measure of everything that happens. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces while the weak are infused with fresh strength. The well-fed are out begging in the streets for crusts while the hungry are getting second helpings. The barren woman has a house full of children while the mother of many is bereft. God brings death and God brings life, brings down to the grave and raises up. God brings poverty and God brings wealth. He lowers, he also lifts up. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles burned out lives with fresh hope, restoring dignity and respect to their lives, a place in the sun. For the very structures of God are, of earth are God's. He has laid out his operations on a firm foundation. He protectively cares for his faithful friends step by step but leaves the wicked to stumble in the dark. No one makes it in this life by sheer muscle. God's enemies will be blasted out of the sky, crashed in a heap and burned. God will set things right all over the earth. He'll give strength to his king. He'll set his anointed on top of the world. Oh, when I think of everything that's going on in the world, that is such a, a comfort. So I've read the end of the book. And God wins. See, in Hannah's prayer, God is the defender and helper of the weak. Hannah represents all of those in the world who are weak. Weak in circumstances, weak in finances, weak in spirit, weak in the sight of others. The downtrodden, the homeless, the least, and the lost in the worldview. Panina, on the other hand, represents the strong. Those in and of the world who have everything. Everything except compassion. Everything except love for their fellow man. Everything except kindness and decency and mercy. The strong in the world often mock the weak. But God hears. God hears and God rescues. God rescues the Hannahs of the world. God rescues those who are in need and know that they need Him. Hannah's prayer admonishes the arrogance of the haughty and the proud. She says, The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces while the weak are infused with fresh strength. Hannah's faith allows her to understand that her weakness is God's strength. The acknowledgement of our own weaknesses makes room for God to step in 
and do what only God can do. Finally, in Hannah's story, we see that God is a God of compassion. God's heart does not reject or despise the human desires of our hearts. Let me say that again. God's heart does not reject or despise the human desires of our hearts. The fact is that many of the desires of our hearts are placed there by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hannah's desire, her lifelong desire for a child, was obviously part of God's plan for her. And when you think about it, if she had had many children like Penina, would she have been so desperate as to cry out to God and vow to give her only son over to service to God if he would but grant that child to her? Would she have entered into a covenant relationship with God if having a child had come easily to her? See, many of the desires and passions of our heart are part of God's design to move us into his greater purpose for us, into our calling, into our ministry, into service for his glory and for our highest good. See, God didn't chastise Hannah for being unhappy. God did not chastise Hannah for being unhappy in her circumstances. We often hear from 1 Timothy 6, 6, it, all, it says, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. And so often we hear that. Just be happy. Be content. But that verse doesn't mean that our discontentment and sorrow about unmet human desires is necessarily sinful in God's eyes. God knows where we are in our human condition because He's been there. He knows that hope deferred makes a heart sick. That's Proverbs 13.12. And we know that He invites His people to bring our prayers and our petitions to Him. God uses our weakness to accomplish great things. Hannah's son Samuel grew up to be a great man. He was the last judge of the Jewish nations and the prophet who anointed the first two kings and advised them in their kingdoms. Through Hannah's weakness, through our weakness, God is glorified. All of us experience desires that just will not be satisfied. And all of us undergo trials and experience circumstances that cause us great pain. Many times these things occur and we simply do not understand them. But know that God knows what he's doing. 
And even when we can't see it, He can. See, there is a universal truth in the kingdom of God that says that nothing God speaks into the world returns to Him void. Nothing. No experience. No pain. Not a single teardrop is ever wasted in God's kingdom. Trust in God is never misplaced. So trust Him. Praise Him. Praise Him before the storm. Praise Him in the storm. Praise Him through the storm. And praise Him after the storm. To Him be the glory. Great things He has done. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.